This is Tara Nicole Nelson, author of The Transformational Consumer. Feel a lifelong love affair with your customers by helping them get healthier, wealthier, and wiser. And you are listening to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. Hello and welcome to this hopefully short-lived series that will be airing in addition to the weekly marketing book podcast interviews. I'm your host, Douglas Burdett, and my goal during this unusual time is to reconnect you with past guests on the Marketing Book Podcast, share some ideas and inspiration, and maybe a much-needed laugh or two. I've interviewed over 200 authors on the show, and my plan is to continue this series until I either run out of authors or quarantine, whichever comes first. A word of warning, the host and guest may very likely be drinking cocktails during these conversations. I mean, come on. They are recorded during the cocktail hour. To find the show notes for each episode with pictures of each guest and links mentioned in their conversation, visit marketingbookcocktails.com. Marketingbookcocktails.com. See what I did there? And if you'd like to join the conversation, email a voice recording to me at douglas at salesartillery.com, and I'll try to include it in a future episode. I'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat. Tara Nicole Nelson, welcome to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. How are you and where are you? I am very, very well. Um, I'm like actually so good that sometimes I don't tell people because I feel like it might be triggering (laughs) to them in this time. I won't tell anyone. (laughs) I'm sure you'll keep that between us. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm, I am currently in Oakland, California, in my basement where I have a, my Zoom and video studio. Okay. Well, you know what? In this uh, special series, this limited time series, I hope, of authors in quarantine getting cocktails, I've only done, I don't know, 20 or so of these. And I've already, you're the second person from Oakland that I've been able to talk to. Ah, who else was from Oakland? Do you remember? Yeah, Bob Hoffman. He has been on the show three times, and he's going to be coming on a fourth time for his fourth book, and he's right there in Oakland. So I've got to get the two of you together, because you're both kind of characters. (laughs) I don't know what you mean. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think you guys, you all would have a, you would have a good time. And I mean, Oakland, I mean, how big is Oakland? Uh, It's probably enormous, you know? That's a big, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful kind of small world place, really. It's not a tiny town, but it's, you know, you get to know the the people you need to know around here. Yeah. So you were on episode 119 and now we're up to about episode 280. I interviewed you or I published your interview back in April of 2017. So in case anybody listening in now hasn't yet heard that interview, remind listeners who you are, what you do and what you've authored. Yeah. And actually some of that has changed since episode 119. So <laughs> let's hear it. So I wrote a a book, a book I'm actually very proud of. Uh, it's, it's all about this consumer insights framework called the transformational consumer. So the idea of the transformational consumer is that there's a, a big and growing segment of our population of consumers who views all of life as a series of behavior change projects to get healthier, wealthier, and wiser, and looks for, is like excitedly eager about engaging with the brands and content and products that help them, you know, remove 
friction and trigger progress along their real world journeys on those aspirations. Um, so at the time I talked to you, I was probably busily promoting the book and busily um, consulting, doing a lot of marketing consulting and brand consulting. My background had largely been in marketing. Right before I wrote the book, I was the chief marketer at my fitness pal, mm-hmm. which was, you know, is still the world's largest health and fitness app. Um, what was fascinating about what happened after that <laughs> was that in my process of co- of consult, I basically ended up doing a bunch of secret download coaching while I was consulting because I found that so many of the marketers and even CEOs that I would work with kind of had the right ideas. They actually kind of knew what the right things were to do to be transformational businesses and brands and products. They really struggled with the self-confidence and the influence in their organizations um, and the clarity of thinking and speaking and, and, and all of that. Uh, the calm, clear-mindedness to actually be able to to get the whole company galvanized around this really different way of doing business. So um, I I literally had one moment in time where a very um, well-known <laughs> CEO of a very large company came up to me and was like, I know you're a great marketer. There's a lot of great marketers in the world, though. Actually, these things that you're walking around saying to people are very game changing. You should be doing that. Oh, interesting. And so I sort of just added a company and now it's my primary focus. So now I run a company called soul tour, um, soul tour.com and soul tour is a, it's a personal development and coaching company where we teach you the inner well-being skills and practices and daily rituals so that you can succeed in your life and in your work. And that's what I've been doing, spending most of the last like year and a half basically doing is working on Soul Tour, guiding people through daily rituals and challenges and transformation programs, coaching and building a team of coaches, um, doing corporate, you know, learning and development programs and that kind of thing too. Well, excellent. That's that's great to hear. Yeah, they're very related. <laughs> They're very related. Even like like right now in the quarantine, what I'm what I've been working on really recently is like a transformational consumer trends report on how people's inner well being is during the quarantine and what they're doing that's working and not working. And um and and every time I you know I've just started I, we just got the data in yesterday I just presented it for the first time this morning and when I present it I always have to present it with that caveat like if I give you this information and you're not doing the inner work to stay calm and clear-minded enough to actually move forward on these ideas, you'll feel worse than if I had never given you the information. Oh, no. So you got to promise me before I give you this insight, you have to promise me that you'll also do your own inner work, do your own daily rituals, do your own work of, you know, journaling, whatever your thing is, journaling, meditation, taking walks, whatever it is, you know, you got to do that work too. You can't just... Otherwise, you're like kind of fighting the battle of life in this world with one hand tied behind your back. Right. And I remember not too long after I interviewed you, you had a lot of things going on. But one of them was this writing challenge that I participated well, in. It's funny because the writing challenge was, in my mind, at the time, it was a passion project. That's all. I never charged anyone for it. I never thought it would turn into anything. I never tried to sell anyone. We've had 30,000 people do the writing challenge. Explain what that was. 
So the writing challenge it was basically my first pass at trying to share the inner well-being practices that have served me so well in, in just sort of becoming this fully unrepressed, you know, able to be on purpose and on calling person in my life and in my work. So I have a daily practice of free writing. I've been doing it for probably like eight years, seven, eight years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to, but, but, you know, it, lots of people want to do these practices. It's that's kind of the key point of the transformational consumers. They need help doing them and building the habits. So in the writing challenge, I would actually send you a writing prompt every morning. I would send you a little nudge every night to make sure you did your writing. Like I kind of incorporated both the idea that you should be writing and turning off your inner editor, all that stuff about how to do it with the um, sort of behavior change nudges from technology that I knew from like my fitness pal and some of my other work experiences. Hmm. Um, so that the whole point for me at the time was just to like, I thought people would l- feel, I want people to feel like they're winning at life. Mm-hmm. I want people to feel masterful over their lives. And I want people to feel like they're, um, able to fulfill their own dreams and potentials. That's what I care about. And so I was like, Hey, this was a big, you know, people are like, I'll have what you're having. <laughs> so I was like, here's what I'm having. <laughs> right. right. Well, the was. it was like, here's what I'm having. This is how you do it. Right. Yeah. The writing challenge ended up becoming sort of the beginning. It's one of the ways that people come into the, the our, you know, universe at Soul Tour now, like now it's kind of like very optimized. We do them very rarely actually because so because they're quite a lot of work. <laughs> um, so we do them rarely, but when we do them, so, you know, we often will have 10,000 pe- 10, people do them and um, it's a beautiful thing. And so many of those people who originally engaged with me on this kind of material in the writing challenge context are now are like have been clients of Soul Tour for two years. And maybe they've done our life and self mastery program, which is our daily ritual program, or they've done, you know, our business and self mastery program, which is mastermind uh, for women entrepreneurs, or they're, they're in individual coaching with me, or with some one of my other coaches. Um, so it's become a whole thing. But that wasn't the idea at first. <laughs> you know, there's a great lesson there for any company that's building an audience. And you were building a big audience and you listened to them. <laughs> you know, yeah. so many companies are told by their customers or their audience or whatever, like, you know, we, we, this is what we want more of. And you were probably in love with, you know, no, I, that's the way I want to do it. And then they were just saying, look, you know, like you said, that uh, CEO said, look, there's plenty of marketers, but there's not a lot of folks that can do what you're doing. Right. And uh, sometimes, uh, you know, it was, it was maybe blindingly obvious to that CEO, but but not to you. And I, and I see that a lot of yeah. times. Yeah. So is there any of that research or, or any observations you've made that you, you can share with us about Ooh. what do you think people are, how, how people are reacting to this, this uh, environment? Oh, if we can talk about that, let's talk about that. Hang on one second. So uh, the re- <laughs> this is a big hint. The report is called The Great Reset. Mm. The great, like every generation, right? This is the narrative arc that was in my mind. So bas- here's how the sequence went was, I kept hearing people say these things that were quite remarkable to me in our individual conversations in reaction to the pandemic when it first became clear we were all going to be at home for a while. 
Mm-hmm. And the number one thing I was hearing people say in like a week, I heard maybe 12 different people say like, I'm secretly relieved. Oh, really? And I kind of was like, I mean, I heard people say like, I feel like this is the break I, I've always needed, but I didn't even know I needed it. And I really hate that it happened this way, hmm. but I'm secretly relieved. And so I was like, "What? first of all, guys, if you're relieved that there's a pandemic, we need to like talk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like really no judgment, but like there's some shit. I'm sorry. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Um, you are. Yes. There's um, Actually, it's funny because uh, Bob Hoffman, you're a fellow Oaklander. He's the reason we had to produce a listener advisory <laughs> for one of his last. Oh, we definitely need but to. But the, the people in Oakland don't have a, the corner on, uh, on saying that. So please. It's cocktails. Come on. It's the cocktail hour. Cocktails. And also my brand, my, if you know, either know me personally or know my work, like my brand is very Buddhist black church lady slash businesswoman. Like that's who I am. So it's hilarious to people that I actually curse, but I'm like, well, if Steve Jobs and Oprah and somebody said, somebody said to me, you're like if Steve Jobs and Oprah and um, Deepak Chopra all had a baby. And I'm like, that's too many pe- people to have a baby. Yeah. And quite a picture you paint there. <laughs> There's so much happening there, right there. <laughs> but um you know, that's, that's what, that's what this is, is it's not, we're not, we are not one dimensional people. We are multidimensional. Anyhow, mm-hmm. the idea was, let me just, I kept hearing these same patterns over and over again in individual conversations or watching them play out in like, um, just the natural listening that I do on a bunch of communities online. So I was like, I got a just total, let me just try this. And on Tuesday of this week, it's Thursday as we record this. Tuesday, I started, I ran a survey. So we wrote the survey up, we shipped it to, we shipped it and got a thousand, a little over a thousand responses back. Here's what we found. 77% of people said they felt relieved when they realized they'd be staying home during the pandemic. And almost none of them said it was because they, they thought it meant they wouldn't get sick. 31% of them were relieved because they wouldn't have to get dressed, commute, or take the kids to school. 28% thought they'd have extra time to catch up on things they've been putting off. 23, about 20-23% said they were relieved to not have to fulfill work obligations or relieved to not have to fill non-work obligations. Only like 23% of people said they felt no relief at all. Um... About 60% of people said that the pandemic has caused them to rethink their life's meaning and purpose, mm. values, and their priorities. Um, something like 30, I'm, this is, I'm trying to do this mostly by memory and it's new data, but I'm pretty sure it's like 29% said they actually had had a, this is my, was one of my personal questions. 29% of people said they have had a spiritual crisis as a result of the pandemic. You know, the pandemic has caused people all this logistical and public health and economic crisis. But the reality is it's also caused people who don't identify as spiritual at all in normal life to face topics like death and fear and why they exist on the planet and what they've been doing with their precious moments of life. And those are spiritual issues, right? So 
Um, there's a, let's see if I can, 71% said that the importance of spirituality has increased. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved this. So only 6% of people said that there were no life changes that they wanted to make. Um, most people were at 94% of people said that there were some changes that were happening or they were inspired to make as a result of this crisis that they hope will stick. And even after so many people having had a spiritual crisis, 61%, I love this one, 61% of people say that they're more satisfied, more content, more appreciative of their lives than they were before the pandemic. Oh, wow. Well, well that, there's there's clearly another book in there, but I don't know that you want to write uh, another one, but that is so interesting. Oh, I want to write a book every year. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go. What what can you say more about the relief that people were yeah. feeling? No, you said 77% felt relieved. 77%. And here's the deal. This to me, you know, like I said, I specialize in understanding and impacting the inner dynamics of human beings, right? Mm-hmm. So like what that is, is a, a response to the fact that most people feel like they're living their everyday lives in misalignment from what they really care about. They're spending a lot of time doing either things they hate to do um, or things that just, you know, they're not actually, people feel the inner tension and stress and lack of self-respect at not fulfilling their own potential, not really giving their own best and brightest ideas, their biggest dreams, their own callings. They're not giving them a fighting chance right? They're staying in kind of chronic self. Oh, there's this beautiful word. Speaking of books, this is not a marketing book. Um, and it's an old book. It's like 60 years old. Non-marketing books are allowed on the marketing okay. book podcast. <laughs> I hope old books are allowed too, because I'm yes. a big fan of old self-help books that are like my favorite. Like I love the self-help books that were published in like 1900 to like 1920. Those are the best. Hmm. Uh, but this book was published, I think in like 1940 or 50, it's by um, Anne Morrow Lindbergh, who was married to the pilot Charles Lindbergh. Hmm. And she wrote this beautiful, tiny little book called Gifts from the Sea. And she used to go to a, she basically had a quarantine situation, self-imposed every year. She would go to this little beach house and she wrote this book. And in the book, she uses this phrase that the German, I think the Germans, Germans have a word for everything. (laughs) It's kind of an amazing language. Um, This word, Zerissenheit. I'm sure there's like more guttural when a real German says it. Um, Zerissenheit. But Zerissenheit implies torn to pieces hood. So that Mm. feeling of like being pulled in every direction, right? Having these, family obligations, work obligations, feeling like you're reacting all the time and not feeling like you can pull any of of your life force in and focus it on you or your values or or your callings. That chronic state of Zerissenheit is very much what I believe many, 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 many people in our culture are living on on a daily basis. And there's a little 
piece where the forced quit, <laughs> that's what I think of it as. This quarantine has been a forced quit. You had to close a bunch of tabs because you can't go to the restaurants anymore. You can't be in the bar. You can't be at work. You can't do the commute. You can't, you know, there's a bunch of stuff you're not doing. Mm-hmm. It caused people to have this sometimes voluntary, sometimes involuntary re- reclamation. Hmm. Right of energy and life force and turning it inward. And it's really uncomfortable for some people because they, the voices in your head get really loud, you know, when you're at home all the time. Um, But for many people, they were like, wow, I realized I don't even like doing a lot of the stuff that I spend my days doing. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's, that's what we, when I see the great reset, I mean, it's a bunch of the re words that we hear people talking about right? Rethinking, reconsidering, reevaluating, reconsidering, recommitting, redecorating. (laughs) True. The reset. And it also takes me back to your book about how people are yearning to transform things. And there might've been some latent um, things, and this is giving them an excuse or forcing them to, to make some of those transformations that they may be might have only been aware of subconsciously. Yes. I mean, there's a piece where it's, um, it's, you know, if you're, if you have latent anxiety that you've been distracting yourself from or self-medicating that gets louder when you're on in quarantine and with cocktails. Um, and if you have dreams or goals, life goals, aspirations, transformations, you want to make things you want to create. Mm-hmm felt scary to you in the past there's a there's a way in which this is like well here's the time you said you never had your callings start to feel more urgent you start to kind of go all right well all the fears in the wake of the trauma that we've just witnessed and undergone as a global community of humans whatever BS inner critic story you were telling yourself about why you're afraid to do anything kind of starts to feel like frivolous and not true right now (laughs) in a really clear way. Like people are like, well, I was telling myself that the world would end if I tried to write my book, but like, eh, that seems like probably not true. So I might as well. Um, And also, by the way, the world did end. The world as we know it or as we knew it three months, six months ago, no longer exists. That's not our world anymore. Hmm. You know, so that's like when it feels apocalyptic to people and I've been teaching my students, hey, let this be the end of the world as you know it. So what is it that you've outgrown that you want to let go of? Mm -hmm. What complexities or hesitations are you really, you know, are you willing to let die? Even myself, and I like, I think of myself as a pretty (laughs) actual, well-actualized being but there were some like re- old relationship patterns and like relation there were some unfinished business with people like in like with relatives that I was like hey this could be the end of that world cool I'm gonna call some people up <laughs> I needed to call and say some things that I needed to say with like deep love and holding them sacred but also like no longer holding back what needs to be said or seen oh. hmm So it's been a very, there are, you know, it's been a very uh, wonderfully, uh, wonderful because I'm good with the discomfort (laughs) of growth. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
Mm. It's scary to a lot of people, but like you're doing, if you're feeling uncomfortable right now, you're probably doing it right is the advice I would give you. Oh, great. Uh, great. Oh, well then I'm really doing well. No, I'm you're doing it right. <laughs> Not about you. <laughs> well, you've been articulating a lot of the things that have been going through my head and I'm now starting to understand better why I've been, uh, feeling the way I do. It's so interesting though, this, this whole great reset. So many people wanted a reset. They just might not have realized it or, uh, didn't, didn't know what, didn't they know what might, to take. They didn't know what to do. And they, I'm just going to call it what it is because it, it, it's totally normal and natural. Um, one of the, there's this beautiful book because you know, that's what I do. <laughs> there's a beautiful book called welcome to your crisis. Um, by this woman named Laura Day. And she talks in there, we teach it in the school. She ta- she talks in there about how like your cri- your personal crises are an opening to make the changes you didn't really have the courage to make of your own volition, hmm. right? But like, here's, your, here's a shot. <laughs> here's a shot where you can do that. And I found... I tell people, I've been here before. That's the unfair advantage I have. I was in real estate in 2008. That was my business in 2008. I lost everything. <laughs> in two th- from 2008 to 2010, I lost my home, my business, and I got divorced. And that's like, honestly, about a third of the list. <laughs> oh, wow. So you're, you're, not a, you're really not phased by anything at this point. Well, there's a, there's a way in which when you, I mean, it was like, I lost so much that I, I wasn't even rebuilding. I was like starting over. So you were handed a reset. I was handed a reset and there was a, it was so high above me what was happening that I, I, I tried to fight it for a while. Let's be real. Cause I'm a powerful person. Right. So I was like, I can spend these. No, you're not fixing this. Um, so when I stopped fighting it and let it just let the fire of that time burn off all the shit that really did not matter and all my old ways of being, which didn't work, all my codependency, all my fixing, all my trying to spin all the plates and make it all happen under my own power, none of that stuff worked. It was too big. So when I stopped doing that, that was when I started doing some of the practices that brought me into everything I love about my life now, right? Like, so right now, when I look back on 2008, I think of it as the best crisis ever. (laughs) Like that is like, it was terrible in the moment. It is the best thing that ever happened to me. It made me become who I am, but I did have to surrender to like the destruction that needed to happen for my new life to be sort of built in its place. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, back to that 77%, I'm thinking years from now, maybe not too long, there are going to be a lot of people that are going to be talking uh, about this big reset yes. that's happened and how it has transformed things that we probably can't even imagine right now. Yes. I mean, there are going to be global things for sure. Um and I think there will be many personal lives that will be really, really different. You know, we were talking about this idea of a 20 or 30% rule. I'm predicting that someplace between 20 or 30% of whatever has gone away in this doesn't come back. 
right? So in California, maybe maybe 20 or 30% of the restaurants that have closed don't ever re- don't reopen as the restaurants they were. Mm-hmm. Um, fitness studios, maybe even more, maybe 20 or 30% of the people who are now working at home newly don't go back to the office. They're working at home from <laughs> the duration, right? So like that... Um, it will, it will change people's lives in a lasting way, the same way all the other greats, the Great Recession, the Great Depression, the Great War, all of those things changed people's lives. And we always think about the way that they've changed their lives in, you know, traumatically. Um, but I think there's a real opening for, th- I don't think, I know, because I've been through this. I saw in 2008, I learned one thing I will never forget, which is that there are people who will come through every crisis, every economic climate and thrive, period. There just are. And, and it was a trip to be in the real estate business then because it wasn't really the agents you would have thought. <laughs> you know what I mean? It wasn't the people who had all the glitz and glamour and the big cars and the millions of dollars of sales before. It was the people who were like willing to like, go with the flow of where the market was trying to take them, meet their clients and customers where there still was business that did really well in those times. And so, you know, it's a, it's like a Buddhist detachment, but like the business version. (laughs) Yes. And I'm wondering if, and I don't mean to sound like the dozen therapists that are in my office building, uh, (laughs) but it sounds like what happened to you in 2008 made you that much more amenable to after your book came out, that CEO saying, why don't you do this? And you probably didn't resist it. You, you, it's almost like you, you knew better. Uh, it, it, takes me, it still sometimes takes me time <laughs> to hear the message, but now I listen for it. I look for like, even in the very, very, very worst, even in death, even when I had, you know, a very close relative of mine died about a year ago now. And even in that moment, like I could literally be at her deathbed and look for what is mine to to newly understand or learn or uncover or discover or become as a result of that experience, of every experience. So now I'm constantly on the lookout. And, and, you know, I think you hear people say like everything happens for a reason and it sounds super trite and it sounds like there's like an old white man on a cloud, like sending trials down. It's like (laughs) a big white beard too. Yeah. With definitely a beard, like the one you're growing right now. (laughs) (laughs) You had to mention that. Yeah. No. Sorry. Um, (laughs) I'm not actually sorry, (laughs) but I don't, I do. I think really what that concept is what the essence of that is that we can all get something out of is that you can extract meaning and insight from anything if you're looking for it. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not like something external to you is intentionally trying to make you jump through hoops. It's more like there's a way of life you can live and be in where you just like everything can be meaningful. You can get insight from anything. You see every person as, I see every person, even like the people who are not nice, (laughs) as like a link in my, in the chain of my own good. Like there's something I can learn from this experience. There's something about myself that's irritating me that is being mirrored in them. There's some, there's something. And so I was really, oh, can I, can I mention one more book? Please. (laughs) 
this is uh, a lot of people listen to this uh, like books and yes. I do too. So I did. I love books. Um, there's a book that is, that was written by this, a friend of mine, actually, her name is Victoria Castle. The book is called the trance of scarcity. Um, I do not actually recall. I was telling you about this book. Um, it's actually a game changing, life changing book because she helps you start to realize how much of what you think is how the world works is actually just your programming and the conditioning of culture that tells you like that the world is hard or life is hard or mean, or like there's not really enough out there for all of us. Um, oh, there was something about the trans of scarcity. I was, well, I was meant What's to her name is her name is Victoria castle. Castle, yes, like like the building castle, C A S T L. Okay. Um. Yeah, read the book. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking for it here on uh, on Amazon. Victoria. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll find it, uh, and I'll include a link to it at this episode's show notes at marketingbookcocktails.com, along with the book by uh, Mrs. Lindbergh. And, you know, it occurs to me, this was probably written after her child was uh, kidnapped and uh, murdered. And I think it must have been. It must have been. Yeah, because that was, they were, I think, might have been their first child. I, they were very young, yes. And she definitely has more children by the time she's writing that book. Yeah, Gift from the Sea and Welcome to Your Crisis. Wow, those sound really interesting. But let me just ask, uh, or let me mention something about your book that has had such special meaning for me. Because I have been asked to give talks every once in a while, like I hit a milestone, like the first 200 books or the first 250 books, and they'll say, well, why don't you come talk to us about, you know, what, what, have, you, what have you learned? And uh, so I've boiled that down into some presentations, and one of them is like three ideas from the first 250 books, you know, from, that every mm-hmm. marketer needs to know. And one of the big ideas that just has come up over and over again, but never quite like in your book is that those companies that have the deepest understanding of their customers are the winners. And so I then introduce your book and show up. So you've been traveling with me quite a bit, Taryn. (laughs) I show on the big screen, a picture of you and your book. And I explain about this, this idea that if you can start to, or try to find how your customers are trying to find a transformation, which they might not even be able to articulate. You are really going to be able to help them and you're going to connect with them. And I still remember how at the time I was reading your book, uh, there was some exercise equipment up on the third floor of our house. And we've been here for 22 years. So the clutter was starting to pick up. And my wife had this different, interesting approach to exercise equipment. Um, when, when like an elliptical trainer would break down, she would just go get another one. <laughs> and so they were starting to, this equipment was starting to gather. And I'm like, you know, there are companies that'll come and repair this, but that's not important. Uh, that was not helpful thing to say. But so anyway, my son and I were trying to get all this stuff out of the third floor. And I don't know how she got all that. I guess they delivered it all up there. Yeah. But I, I needed a particularly large uh, screwdriver that, that I didn't have. And I went to the hardware store and I bought this thing because mm. I didn't have that particular one. And I always thought it was interesting that at that point I realized, wow, even the screwdriver is helping me transform by getting all this stuff out of the house. 
<laughs> I don't know if yeah. it always works out that way, but I, I always think about that. And I think if folks could start to understand how whatever the product is, even if it's a pack of gum or a screwdriver or something that maybe is more overtly transformational, uh, they're going to be so much more successful at not just marketing the product, but also selling it. That's totally right. Like you don't uh, think you have to, I mean, you only have to think about yourself, about how the times when you get geared up to make big change in your life often involve decluttering, mm-hmm. often, <laughs> right? Often in, evol- involve um, cleaning, often involve, you know, purchases that you just don't, you just wouldn't think, of, or nobody who is marketing that product would necessarily think of as a transformational product. But when you start to just shift from product focus to really focusing on real people and how they live their real everyday lives, I mean, that's one of the trends I'm seeing for right now is like, I call it imperfectionism, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? So many of our heroes in this quarantine, like we've been in Erica Badu's bedroom with her. I mean, like Beyonce's got a song out now about how she has to like jump into her jeans. She needs like help get into her jeans. Like uh, this is how real people live and the lives of real people are actually kind of messy, which is a little bit scary, (laughs) frankly, to marketers because they're like, whoa, if I have to try to understand all of someone's life, that's a lot, but there is something about the, you know, I, I share in there about how, when I was at Trulia, I just had, I had been in real estate. I had been in the car with so many people. I understood their, the way their minds were thinking about things at a level of fidelity that you almost couldn't, if you hadn't been right there. And so I would get emails from people being like, whoa, you literally said this sentence that I've been saying, and this email is like saving my marriage. And we still get emails like that. But mostly because when you, depending on what your business is, if you can really try to either insert yourself personally, because you actually deal with the same problem that your customers do, or through research, just really sit with them, go with them, be where they are, understand, well, it's hard now, Um, but you can be online with them in their comments on the New York Times article, (laughs) Uh right? There's a lot of ways you can be on the Reddit forum that they're on, and I know Reddit scares a lot of people too. It's actually where all the transformational communities are all the time talking in real verbiage because they don't believe any, they don't think the brands are there because the brands aren't there really. Well, and they don't really tolerate brand speak on Reddit. You just go to Reddit and you listen. That's the, that's what you're talking about is there's like a level of humility that this approach requires because Mm -hmm. it's not about you at all. All it's about is deeply immersing yourself in their experience to the point where you he, you see the same sentence like like I did earlier you know in this thing I could hear I heard so many people say they were relieved those words that I was like that's a thing I don't know what it is but I'm gonna figure it out yeah but it's a thing and it's happening and I don't care if it doesn't seem conscious or compassionate it's a real thing that's happening in real people's minds. And when you hear it five or 10 times, when you see it on Reddit or in comments on Amazon products in your category or whatever, five or 10 times, you're like, oh, like, you know, I'm raising a toddler now. So I go on the toddler slippers pages on Amazon and I'm like, wow, I've never bought her slippers before, but I see that 
toddler's feet sweating in slippers is an issue for people. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Cause every, every other comment mentions it. Right. So like when you get to that level of fidelity, then you can market in a totally different way that just feels like I actually give a shit about what you care about. And I'm just, you know, sh- sharing stories of our customers sharing even spokespeople that are resonant for you because in their imperfection and humanity, they have a cluttered room too, and they're trying to clean it out. Um, I also think that just sometimes the, the person who, who looks at the transformational consumer or any transformational marketing stuff and doesn't feel like it applies to them, that can be a real that it doesn't apply to me is also a pattern. <laughs> I, I can't use this. My, my situation is too hard for this is also a self-limiting block I have seen in marketers. Yes. Um, yes. And they'll, um, that, they, well, it, 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 there's no shortage of marketers and salespeople that want to talk about their products first, rather than uh, how people can find a thread of transformation someone's looking for. And no, the other thing about, the approach in your book that I've seen, and this is so true in a lot of these things that I've learned from all these books, is that you don't have to read Tara Nicole Nelson's book and do everything in there exactly 100% correct. If you just do a little bit of it, you're going to stand <laughs> out. Do you know what I like to say? I like to say you can eat the meat and leave the bones. <laughs> man it's like going to church as a buddhist black church lady i go to lots of places and i'm like i don't actually agree with all of this at all (laughs) like i'm literally a buddhist so there are a bunch of things you're gonna say at many churches i don't agree with but i'm gonna eat the meat (laughs) and (laughs) leave the bone oh That's all you want to do. And you know, it's funny, like, because I also hear people shit talking themselves about like not making it all the way through books. That's a thing. And I'm kind of like, listen, some of the most influential books I've ever read were books where I read like chapters one and two, and then just started doing my life differently because of that. Great. But never made it all the way. Like the four agreements, I defied someone to read that the first bits of that book and not be changed. You may never make it to the end, which is a shame because the end is beautiful, but like you just don't even have to get there to be transformed by that book. That book Um, came up um, on another interview, The Four Agreements. I'm trying to remember. Oh, I remember. It was Amanda Slavin who was talking about that one in her interview about um, her book, The Seventh Level, which is all about employee and customer engagement. Hey, wait a minute. That's something Karen Nicole Nelson talked about too. If you, don't, if you don't know her, I'm happy to introduce you. I was gonna say, I feel like now I need to know her. Yes. Oh boy, you you two would uh you're you're uh cut from the same cloth, I think. And and her book was all about how the more engaged your customers are, the more successful you'll be. And as well as the more engaged your, your employees are. And I mean, I was just looking at my notes from when I interviewed you a few years ago, and it was it was very much um talking about that. So before we close, I was wondering if you could share the story about what your mom said about social media, because when I first read that on social media, you were, I had posted something funny and you had responded. What was it? I can't even remember now, but you, 
You posted oh, that gosh. and I burst out laughing. And she, your mom said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go on social media. My mom, just for context though, my mother's like a 70 year old, very black church lady. Like she is, she runs the hospitality department at church. Okay. Mm. She's a Sunday school teacher. She runs Bible study. So that's the context you need. (laughs) Thank you. Mom, you gotta get a Facebook account. Cause what she was doing was this. She would go to church. Her church friends would tell who I'm friends with. They would don't ask me why they would tell her something that I posted. Then my mother would require me to make like, to take a screenshot of that put it in an email to her and send it to her. So we literally turned technology back like three decades, okay? And at some point I was like, mom, you gotta just get a Facebook account. And she says to me, but I think if I get a Facebook account, like the next step is I have a sex tape. (laughs) Actually, uh, that's actually not how sex tapes work. Oh my goodness. Not at all. Well, I don't know. You know, sometimes our parents know things. And uh, I just thought that was that was so funny. And I hope that when I'm 70, I can just freak my kids out the same way. And <laughs> you can do that. I'll be honest. <laughs> I'm, Is that how sex seems? <laughs> yeah. Well, see, I can start doing that now because they've really suffered. They're in their 20s now, but they've, you know, they've, they've had to endure a lifetime of really tiresome dad jokes. And <laughs> and I continue to say them just because I think they're funny. It's not like I'm trying to entertain them. And yeah, did they bring their friends over to the house? Not much. Um, but <laughs> that made the kids more resourceful, you know? More food for you. More yeah. food for you. And then I, mean, I, I would tell them when they went to school, I said, if I give you some Ziploc bags, can you bring some food back? <laughs> Oh my God. Just like, dad, dad. <laughs> and then there was conversations, you know, mom, what were you thinking when you married him? So, um, you know, the they thing just, that you don't understand, you, how old are they? 22 and 25. Okay. So the thing that I, the news that I would hate to break to them if they were on this is that all the things that you're doing now that make them insane, they're crazy. I like my dad used to try to negotiate at like Sears or like regular stores. He would just walk in and be like, no, this is what I'm paying. And I was like mortified. <laughs> Except that right now, hundred percent of the time, that's what I do. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yes, but what's the tariff price? Hi, right. But I'm making a great Yelp review. So like I literally had a locksmith come over and he was like, oh, this is like $200 for one minute of work. I was like, or it's $100 plus a great Yelp review. Like this one that I've already pre-written. He was like, okay. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I thought. So like all the things that you're doing that make them crazy right now, they're probably going to end up with wire, hardwired into their own system. Yes. <laughs> you are victorious in this one. That's right. And I think uh, you just mentioned something else that I'm going to be using and no one's going to get it, but I'm going to, for now on, I'm just going to, when somebody gives me the price, I'm going to say, yeah, but what's the Terra price? I mean, right? What's the terror price? The terror price is different. Right. It's like the terror price. And that way it kind of gets me off the hook. But it also reminds me of the last story I'll tell. I had this client once. Uh, he's still a friend of mine. He was a retired U.S. Army first sergeant. And if anyone's ever seen the first 10 minutes of Full Metal Jacket, you know, that was him. Whoa. And uh, 
you know, but a heart of gold. And uh, one day he called us up, called me up and said, Douglas, he was complaining about something going on. Not, not that we had done, but he was complaining about somebody was making life difficult for him. And he said, you know, this world would be a whole lot better if when everyone woke up in the morning, and his name was Frank, if people would just say, what can I do to make Frank's world a better place today? <laughs> now, how does that affect Frank's world? I'm about to make a decision. How does that affect Frank's world? He says, Douglas, <laughs> when you and your team wake up in the morning, the first thing that you all should be thinking is, how can I make today better for Frank's world? Well, this became a actually a very helpful joke that we would say at the office, like, whoa, wait a minute, how does that help Frank's world? And then it bled over to other clients where we'd say, uh-huh. well, how does that help Frank's world? Like, meaning like, wait a minute, we're thinking about ourselves, not necessarily the, the, the right. customer. And then some clients found out about it and they started using the expression and they weren't named Frank. They would say, Douglas, how does this help Frank's world? <laughs> that's like, that is actually, just to bring it full circle, that's literally the point of the transformational consumer is it's not even about you. Yes. It's not even about you. It's totally and only about them. And how does this affect Frank's world? I kind of love <laughs> Maybe I'll be using this. So we got Frank's world and, and what's the Terra price? So And to just to be clear, I do actually like love local businesses. That's the one thing. Like I am actually pretty blissed out in this quarantine. I'm I have a lot of privileges that I enjoy right now. Um and also the thing that I miss, one of the things that I miss the most is just being able to flit about my local restaurants and businesses and, you know, the grocery store and the places that are like, actually, they kind of create the fabric of my, the, the landscape of my life and their proprietors do too. And so I don't ever bargain with those guys. Well, <laughs> like, it, that's good. Um, yeah. But also, and I, I think we're also remembering um, or we're yearning for that even more than we did before. So just one more thing about the the big reset. You realize what's important. I've interviewed a couple authors, and they said they miss live music. <laughs> and just things like that, you, you have it taken away, and then you start to reflect, and you think, you know, I really I look forward to going to doing these yeah. different types of things that maybe they'd taken for granted in the past. Yeah. So, well, Tara Nicole Nelson, thank you very much for joining us on this special edition of uh, Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. And I hope that you and your family and everyone near you continues to stay uh, healthy, safe, and relatively sane. We will, we will. I mean, but just relatively. <laughs>